Hello, and welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 18, Ugly Duckling. The original air date for this episode was March 12th, 1986. It was directed by Charles Carell, who uh, we just had direct every time she smiles. And it was written by Larry Gross. Why don't we go into the brief description of this episode? In this episode, MacGyver is out to help a young computer student who has broken into the government computers and also now has information about a missile guidance system that some bad guys want to use. And we basically open, moving into the full description of this, we open on... Like two rival gangs yeah. breaking into the same soundstage, essentially. <laughs> um, and one of them seems to have paid for merchandise that they're expecting to just pick up without mm-hmm. any trouble here. And then the other group is just descending in like ninjas. Yeah, it's 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 and it's two very different types of like uh, criminals. It's like some guys are like kind of casually dressed, and then they like you said the ninja guys who are rappelling down from the roof of the building. Yeah, and uh, are better armed. Than yeah, the guys who were already there stealing. And the guys that are there stealing it, I mean, and stealing is maybe even the wrong word, because it seems like they're like, oh, well, let's see if we're getting what we paid for. Like, yeah. they're just there, like, they, it seems like they just think they're picking it up, but they also feel a little bit like, mm-hmm. like they're not good guys, in that they open up the first box and they're like, eh, it looks like a missile to me. Yeah, but, but obviously missiles wouldn't be just stored in some random warehouse out Right. In the middle of somewhere. Like, they'd be in a more secure facility. And a person would be handing them over if this was, like, a legitimate transaction. Right. It wouldn't be like, go pick them up from this place. <laughs> They're down at the CVS. <laughs> yeah. So we, we move directly from this, uh, the, the fight, the, the gunfight that breaks out at this soundstage to uh, a nightclub. And we're going basically from a machine gun to a drum solo. Like, mm-hmm. just fading. Saxophone. Yeah, into this, like, uh, I don't know, rock is probably the rock. It's jazz and uh, yeah, poppy it, jazz. P- picture the on. scene from the Lost Boys when they're out at the park and the sweaty jazz playing. Yeah, if you don't know the scene, it's pretty infamous. So, <laughs> um, and uh, this saxophone solo we're in the middle of, uh, we will learn very quickly, is Professor Willis, um, who's played by Richard McKenzie, who played Principal Bacon in Corvette Summer. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Have you seen Corvette Summer? I have not. I actually really like that movie. It's really? about Hamill and Annie Potts. Okay. And Annie Potts is adorable in that movie. Oh, she's always adorable. Yeah, I mean, I love her all the time, but she's especially adorable in that movie. Um, and uh, MacGyver is walking through the nightclub to meet with Professor Willis. He's, he's waiting patiently for his set to end mm-hmm. and greets him with his favorite drink. Right. Um and he knows immediately what MacGyver's doing because he knows MacGyver works for DXS and he's like, alright, well, the government hired me to... or It's still, I'm not 100% clear if the government hired him to do this yeah. or if he took it upon himself to discover this glitch in the Snake Eye missile system. Well, I wouldn't even know how he would know the glitch existed unless they approached him. He's saying, a crazy old hacker. You never know. It's true. This is like, this is like early 80s hacking before even the movie Hackers. Like, it's... Because people don't really know how anything works, they they just throw out words and file names and 
look like they're coding stuff. It, it doesn't make any any kind of sense. It, it does feel in places that that War Games may have been an inspiration for. Oh, I'm episode. sure. But War, War Games was more believable. Like, right. Yeah. Like the stuff that happens in War Games seems like that seems like probably how it would work. Well, obviously, you're going to do a lot more research for a feature film than you would for yeah. an episode of a television show. But um, yeah, so he he sits down at the bar with MacGyver. It's clear they're friends, and Willis knows immediately that they they sent MacGyver to uh, catch up with him because he was a student of mm-hmm. Professor Willis's, and so he thinks that or they think that he has pull with Willis, which MacGyver says, Look, don't, "Don't I?" Yeah. And Willis kind of admits, "Yeah, you do." Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, the whole time they're having this conversation, we're cutting back over to these two thugs at the other end of the bar right. that are basically staking out Willis because they intend to kidnap him to get this information on this missile. Right. Um, Again, the, the the problem with the missile is there's a problem with the guidance system, and it won't work until this information or the glitch is corrected, which right. they can do, but they won't do because the girl broke into the computers, and Professor Willis wants some assurances that... If he fixes it, that... she's not going to get in trouble. Exactly. But yeah, what we know right now is that um, the government knows that Willis and a student of his were researching this missile, mm-hmm. and they found a problem with the guidance system. And like outside of that, um, Kate, the student, thought that she could hack into the Department of Defense system to find a solution to this glitch. Right. And that was the big no-no problem. Right. And so he said, well, we could probably fix your glitch, but I'm not going to say anything until they promise me they're going to leave Kate alone, basically. Mm-hmm. But in the other side, is like, there's so many people who are after different people. Right. Because then now the two thugs at the bar are... They've stolen these missiles. Yes. Presumably they're a part of the descending ninja team mm-hmm. that stole the missiles from the people who thought they paid for them. And, uh, and they expect to kidnap... Willis and force him at gunpoint to fix yeah. that glitch so that they can use the weapons or sell the weapons because somehow they know that the weapons are faulty also. Mm-hmm. That's why they're going to junk them. That's why they're sitting in some random warehouse. <laughs> they didn't want them anymore. Yeah. And uh, Ned Bellamy uh, was also in Django with the former guest of the show, Cooper Huckabee, uh, Django Unchained. Mm. Um, but he also played uh, Derek Mantini, who was a uh, Craig Schwartz hotshot puppeteering rival in Being John Malkovich. What? The guy who's doing the puppeteering of the giant 30-foot puppet off the really? side of the bridge. Yeah, he was Derek Mantini. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and Spike Jones had a cameo as, like, Derek Mantini's assistant. But I, as soon as I saw Mantini, I was like, that's the other puppeteer, isn't it? On his IMDb page. But yeah, so. And he was also in Mystery Men. Um, he was uh, Funk, who was uh, Funk and McGuire were these two cops two cop characters that are hassling the mystery men about how okay. the city already has a superhero and they don't okay. need more. Um, but yeah, so MacGyver and Willis leave this bar and Ned Bellamy and his partner sort of descend on them immediately. Yeah. And uh, in this whole wrestling match that goes on outside the car, um, Willis is accidentally shot. Yeah, Willis is trying to fight them off. Right. And MacGyver is kind of getting into the action, being shot at. He sets off a car alarm to kind of, like, get people to come out to see what was going on. Yeah. Which you could only do in the 80s. Because right now, if you if a car alarm goes off, no everyone just ignores it. Yeah. As long as possible. I don't know if even... I feel like that probably took about 45 minutes for people to realize that a car alarm just means someone hit the wrong button. It doesn't mean yeah. someone's stealing a car. But in the 80s, you could do that. 
I do remember when I was a kid, every time I heard a car alarm, I was like, oh my God, is someone's car getting stolen? I'm going to mm-hmm. look for it. So, you know, it was only going to be eight-year-olds that were catching you when those <laughs> alarms went off, because everyone else is like, no, it's not. No, it's fine. It just goes off. <laughs> so Willis dies there in the parking lot, and it's basically the next day, MacGyver and Peter are hashing it out about what went wrong. Uh, they give us some information about the guidance system and how this, uh, with the Snake Eye missile, the new guidance system will be beyond what the missile's intended purpose was, was as a heat seeker. Right. It will now be like a smart bomb. It'll smart missile. It can go anywhere you tell it. Yeah, it can, It can. if you program a building, it'll ask which floor that's, I mean, this mm-hmm. is Pete's exaggeration of its abilities. But the, the implication here is that uh, in the wake of Professor Willis's death, and I'm assuming his first name is Charlie. I, we don't know what yeah. his first name is, but uh, Max Charlie friends don't fare well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is Charlie Willis. Um, the uh, the only other person who knows how to fix this glitch is this student that was working with him, and right. somehow both sides know that the student was working with him, and so uh, MacGyver knows that she's probably the next target and intends to go after her to try and protect her and to get this information to the Department of Defense as safely and securely as possible. And Pete obviously doesn't want him to interfere in that whole Right, he doesn't want to get mixed up with... It's departmental jurisdiction, you know? Right. And so, you know, it's going to cause Pete some grief if MacGyver gets involved. And uh, MacGyver insists to Pete that Kate would never share this glitch with the bad guys, even though later she does almost immediately. But uh, Pete's like, well, maybe you're right, you know? but I'd rather we didn't get involved. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go do it anyway. I promise not to spend too much money. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I'll keep my head down. Don't, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Um, and then we kind of cut from there to this, uh, kind of a, like a little farmhouse cabin out in the, in the countryside. And this is where we meet, uh, the arms dealer Hatcher, who is kind of like finalizing, uh, some information, but, uh, and he base he knows that Professor Willis is dead, so he's looking for the next best thing, and he knows that MacGyver has been put on or is going to be on this situation because he's got already got a file on MacGyver ready to go. Right. And the thug who was at the bar recogn- instantly recognizes, "Hey, I saw this guy with the professor." It just looks last like night. it's actually just Richard Dean Anderson's headshot in a Manila folder. Yeah, which which I'm I'm sure I'm sure he has numerous headshots. Yeah. Um, cause otherwise, how do you get such a photogenic photo of, uh, your, your would be target? Yeah. Um, and so Hatcher says, well, follow him and he'll lead you to the student, which of course you'd think MacGyver would be smarter than that. You think he would be like, Hmm, like they'll probably go after her through me. Cause yeah. I'm the only person now who knows who she is. Yeah. And this isn't the first time that MacGyver's accidentally led people to the bad guy either. Yeah. And it's not the last time cause we'll see it in the second season. Um, the actor who played Hatcher is played by Lee DeBrew, who, um, also played Sal, who ran the cocaine factory in RoboCop. Oh. And he was also one of the police in Chinatown. I don't know which one, but one of them. Right. Do I remember the Coke factory? The Coke factory where he beats the crap out of Kurtwood Smith at the end of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I was trying to put him in Kurtwood Smith's part. Yeah. No, it's definitely Kurtwood Smith at the end of that fight, but Sal is the one who like owns that whole place. Okay. Okay. Um, so from there we go to the school, which I guess she's supposed to be in high school. Like she seems like age appropriate for high school, but the school looks like a huge university. It looks, it's like, it almost looks like a church. Yeah. It looks like a church. It's got stained glass windows, Yeah. but 
It's and big arch doors and. Mm-hmm. But it certainly doesn't seem like a high school. Right. But then when you see the lab, it kind of says high school. Yeah. But at the same time, it. It could easily have been in college computer it, science course. Yeah, exactly. Especially uh, since this was what 1986 now, yeah. and they had a computer on every desk. Like, mm-hmm. this seems like something that you wouldn't really have access to in high school. Exactly, and well, and well, we, what's even weirder is, so enter Kate Lafferty, played by uh, Darcy Marta. Darcy Marta, and this is her first role in anything. Okay, she she's you know what she's pretty good in this. Yeah, like she she's got some energy. Um, maybe it doesn't always have the best lines to work with, but she's cute. She's funny. She's fun. She's tough. I like this character. Yeah. The last credit she had was in like 1994. She was in an episode of Murphy Brown and then she just did a short film like last year. So it was like 20 years between those two performances. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she, she definitely serves her purpose here. Yeah. Yeah. She comes across as a pretty believable computer science major or student. Right. So, but she comes in, obviously she's aware of the professor's death. Right. So she's kind of coming into class a little early or late. We're not really sure what, what time of day this is. It's technically, you wouldn't be late for the class because the class professor's week. dead. Yeah. Class is so, canceled. Yeah. So you're always early. <laughs> You've all He's failed. He's late. Oh, he is the late professor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she's there kind of like mourning just, I guess, over the closest she could get to him would be going into the classroom right where macgyver's waiting and uh it, what's weird here is that macgyver says that this was his desk and right worse i we can safely assume that macgyver is at least 15 years out of school if this is high school then yeah, yeah. so what computers would have been in uh, 1970 what computers classrooms would have yeah it's just it doesn't seem to fit. I know there were computers then, but... Well, unless, like you said, it's it was literally punch card classes. Yeah, that's the only I could think of. In which case, MacGyver would definitely not have made any, like... Well, I don't remember us ever hacking into the Defense Department. It's like, yeah, because the internet didn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> like, there was no way to do that. Yeah, the, the, the Defense Department was manual back then. <laughs> um, it was acoustic. <laughs> I don't know if that works. Yeah, that's weird. It didn't really work. But Mac introduces himself. He he realizes that this must be Kate. And, and she realizes that he was there when the professor was shot. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she doesn't suspect him at all. Yeah. <laughs> Seems kind of creepy. Because he doesn't really say he didn't do it either. Well, and, and she knows, she must know by now that people are after this secret. Right, yeah. And it's weird because, like, Kate kind of shrugs him off. Like, she, she even says, I don't want to talk to you. And... Cut to her him house. in her living room. Yeah, it's just like, this creepy guy followed me home and you let him in the house, Mom? Yeah. Well, she seems to not have much respect for her daughter at all, though. Yeah. And Which... this whole argument, she's just, like, taking the stranger's side against her daughter. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a couple agents show up to the door and she's like, I think you should go with these people. Forget your civil liberties. Yeah, this is... Uh, she She's not a, a great mother. Yeah. But, you know... She's a troubled kid. Maybe she's maybe this isn't the first time that they've had visitors, sure. uh, legal visitors to the house. Um, um, in the living room, though, MacGyver is kind of impressed with. It looks like she's been tracking all the major communication satellites right. on her own, just as a hobby, which is important. Yeah, because this is that's set up for something that will come into play later. Yes. Um, and uh, so enter 
the Department of Defense. Yeah. And it's so great because they come in, they introduce, they show like they flash their badges to introduce themselves. It's actually not DOD. It's it's ODI. It's ODI, the, yeah. Um, Office of Defense Intelligence. Mm-hmm. And they, they flash their badges, and MacGyver just takes it like. Yeah. Like he's trying to show it to the to the mother, but MacGyver takes it. What's this? Oh, what's this? The picture with you, stupid picture. <laughs> and so... the mom doesn't find this suspicious at all. Like maybe none of these three people have anything to do with the government. Yeah. Like, come to think of it, MacGyver didn't show me any credentials. <laughs> because he doesn't have any. <laughs> he's a member of the DXS, which no one's ever heard of. That sounds that sounds really made up. He mentions his uh, his agent number is. XC4479 here, which I think later in the season it's just DX5. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even that complicated. He, well, he, 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 he got flew to... up the ranks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Pete's had like six promotions this season. Yeah, so, so yeah. You know, he, he's not a double O or anything, but he's. he's or maybe the... Ingrid got way more agents above him killed than we realized. Mm. <laughs> he went from a four digit number to five. Jeez. But we should mention the two people who come to the door here, the ODI agents. Well, one of them is uh, Mr. Rob Paulson. Yes. Who Famous Rob Paulson. is incredible. Um, you may have heard of his podcast uh, that he runs. It's the Talkin' Tunes podcast. Um, and he is a very famous voice actor. He's done some pretty iconic characters over the years. Uh, namely, Yakko Warner. Hello, nurse. From the Animaniacs mm-hmm. and Pinky. No! <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing here? From Pinky and the Brain right. on the Animaniacs. Um, he was also Raphael in the original incarnation in the 1987 Ninja Turtles. I am one of the Ninja Turtles. And he's Donatello in the current incarnation of the Ninja Turtles. He's making the rounds. Yeah. A uh, couple more years, he'll just he'll get the other turtles in there. Yeah, he I, he's made that joke before on his podcast. That oh, yeah. I mean, and his son made the point like, "Hey, Dad, if you're around for another 50 years, you could you could play all four of them mm-hmm. at some point." Um, but but in the 80s he did do some live action roles. Well, he sure obviously he here, um, and uh, uh, most another small part in Spaceballs. Right. Yeah. He, um, and it's just a voice. It's, he's not actually the guy in the suit. For he, that well, scene. He, he's in two scenes though. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's he's in that scene where he's got the comb. Where, where, they, where, they, where they're, they're combing, combing the, the desert. desert, and he's the second guy who says, "Not a thing, sir." Before they go to the the Afro pick. Right. Um, uh, but uh, during the ludicrous speed scene when they put on the brakes and he flies. He's one of the guys who comes, Oh, let me help you, sir. When he's helping up when they're helping in dark helmet, you can hear and it's his actually voice. him or it's just a VO. Ah, it's hard to say, but it's unmistakably his voice. Oh, okay. That was the, cause I had re- recently rewatched Spaceballs. Yeah. And, and I was like, that's Rob Paulson. <laughs> um, I watch a lot of cartoons <laughs> and, uh, and obviously, you know, you, we both grew up listening to his voice. You right. Know, you just start to hear these voices and they just get burned into your mind. Yeah. Also, if the name Robert Paulson sounds familiar, it's because you watch Fight Club too yeah. often. Yeah, <laughs> his name is Robert Paulson. In death, we have a name. His yeah. name was Robert Paulson. Oh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, before they show up, uh, MacGyver's like kind of teasing her about stuff. And she says a, she says a quote, or not a quote, but her, her, her line is very strange. And it, I've never heard it said like this before. She says, Is all of this in honor of something? Right, yeah. And I've never heard that expression. Yeah. And I found it really weird, and it jumped out at me. I, I brought it up. It did because, bother me, but yeah. I wouldn't have even thought about it again until you said that. But yeah. yeah. Is it, and she's like, is all this in honor of something? It's like, like usually it was people say, well, like, you know, is this going somewhere? Or, like, where, it, it, yeah. I don't know, it just, 
it's such relevance. A, yeah, it seems like a very weird line. I don't know. It, it caught me. Objection. Relevance. Um, but MacGyver does say that they sh- she should probably go with them. Yeah. If if anything, she'd probably be safer. Maybe because MacGyver sure. really not doesn't seem to have a plan to take her anywhere, and maybe also to keep Pete from any having any grief, because uh, you know at least he's if they're cooperating interdepartmentally. Uh, wow, I actually almost got that word perfect. <laughs> it's like I thought I was going to mess that word up a lot more than I did. Uh, uh, at least this would kind of help a little bit. Yeah, but then and, when um, when Frank Bennett. When he thought he was handing him over to someone safely, he immediately got taken. Yeah. The The next scene is at uh, ODI headquarters where she's being, again, Rob Paulson is present, uh, kind of interrogating her, asking her questions. But, but now the second agent has this, been replaced. Yeah, the second agent, this is not the same agent who picked her up. The new agent, who we can only assume is the supervisor. Right. Played by Russell Johnson. A.K.A. The Professor. The Professor. It's uh, not the professor from this episode. Mm-hmm. It's the professor from Gilligan's Island. That's right. Uh, the professor, who, uh, little known fact, his name is Roy Hinckley. The character's name the, is Roy Hinckley. Yeah, yeah, they never call him that. I think they may have called him that in one of the movies. Oh, okay. Uh, they did make movies. Um, Way after the show. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the professor, as he's, as he's normally known as, at least, again, other Gilligan's Island reference, is that... Uh, he used to be Anne the Rest with uh, Marianne. Right, before they eventually got g- gave added them to names. the song. Yeah. Um, Professor Anne, Marianne. Yeah. Well, what can you say, really? I mean, yeah, yeah. His character has no... I don't even think his character has a name in this scene. Um, He's it, credited as Oslo, but I don't. I have no idea where that comes from. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's never spoken. Yeah. And it's just so random to see him in this part. Yeah. IMDb-wise, I also noticed he was credited in something called Animania from 1991. Oh. Which I think was a TV show because it has like a starting date, but it doesn't have an ending date. But there's no one else credited on it as director, writer, other cast. So I have no idea if it even got made. But apparently it existed in enough of a way that right. it got an IMDb page. And it's almost Animaniacs. Yeah, it's a couple letters off of Rob Paulson's show. And here they are acting as... as co-agents together um and uh russell was also uh in this island earth which is a really well-known sci-fi film right i was actually introduced to by mystery science theater 3000 the movie i I think that that's how most people are familiar with it i think i i probably have seen that more often than the actual movie (laughs) yeah Uh, definitely it's it's a little i don't know if i've even seen the movie without I, I have commentary. I, I have on like one of those like sci-fi channel presents yeah like late night things because they don't put it that kind of stuff in prime time yeah but um uh explorers movie explorers they they make a, a couple oh. of points they show a lot of it yeah they show a lot, lot of well, war of the worlds that yeah Joe Dante is big on recycling footage too yeah. from like old sci-fi stuff mm-hmm. um so while being interrogated which is a really casual interrogation it's not it's nothing harsh or anything towards Kate. Um, they but be- they do make a couple of attempted accusations at her being held on like conspiracy charges mm-hmm. and stuff like that if she doesn't show them how she hacked into the system. Which is which is kind of a strange request. Like, show us exactly what you did. But I don't know, like if that's really because they they they're obviously not tech savvy. Yeah. Like this would be more like we need to call an engineer in here 
and you show the engineer what you did. Someone who's going to watch the monitor while you're working. Yeah, because the whole point of this is that uh, the professor and Rob Paulson are are almost bored by what she's doing. Cause, yeah, they just want to know if she can do it, and if it like, or if it was, I don't know, if maybe they think just the professor did it on his own, and this girl knows nothing about it, so they're like, yeah. "Prove to us you can break into the system." We don't, we're not going to watch. Just tell us when you're in. Right. And, and then she turns to them and says, "Password." It'll save time. Well, that's not what. That's not hacking. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like. You know the password. Oh, well, tell me the password. Can you can you break into the safe? Sure. What's the combination? What's the combination? Uh, Thirty-three, twenty-five, sixteen. Why? Oh, she's got it open. We're gonna have to change all the combinations. Uh, so while she's pretending to hack, aka seems to be just pushing the enter button over yeah, and over just, again, or in a lot of cases the delete button. Yeah. Which it looks like is having the same okay. effect as hitting enter, enter on a command. But she, um, <laughs> yeah, the. Uh, they they give her the password of Lippincott, and then it just basically gives her a menu with a list of stuff, and then she just taps down until she gets the snake eye and then hits enter on it. Yeah. And that's enough for them to be like, oh, God, she's into the system. And it's like, what does she do here that, like, an eight-year-old couldn't have done? Yeah, it's it, – it, again, this is 80s hacking. Yeah. Uh, you're just supposed to be boggled by the fact that anyone knows how to use a computer, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Because these two gentlemen are. Yes. <laughs> they're certainly... And they're just like staring at the walls in the room like, ah, oh, dang it. Why Why is this happening? Like checking out the paint job and like not looking at her. They, they have like mild autism. <laughs> they yeah. don't make direct eye contact with anybody. Yeah. Um, it wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> why I was laughing. <laughs> so Kate is just like entering random stuff into the computer, which is causing the building facility, like the different like... The door locks, the computers, the, the printers. The elevator motors literally explode in sparks. Yeah. Like, she's doing permanent damage to the elevators. Like, and there are people in it, and it shows, like, them, like the elevator drop, and they're, like, panicking. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's horrible to do it's to like people. It's like the beginning of uh, Resident Evil. Yeah, <laughs> Someone's pretty, gonna get chopped yeah, in half exactly. by this girl. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the last thing she does is close all circuits... And the computer says, do you mean to close all circuits? And then she's like, which word did I misspell up there? <laughs> but I feel like, as funny as that is, that's something about computers that has not changed. Yeah. Like, shut down. Did you want to shut down? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you asking me this? <laughs> Shutting down the computer means it turns it off. Um, oh, okay. Then no. No, no, I didn't mean to do that. Thank you. Thank you, computer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> This We're is... not that advanced yet. Uh, and so the power goes out in the room, and uh, uh, Rob Paulson's character basically just says, oh, wait, the, the backup generator will kick on. But apparently in that time, they did not hear the door open or close. And somehow she can see in the dark, even though they're completely blinded by the darkness. Right, and we are. Yeah. It is pitch black in this room. And and where I don't know like th this whole this whole scenario of her escape doesn't seem plausible. Right. Hopefully she wasn't on a floor that would require the elevator to I'm get down. I'm assuming she took the fire escape or yeah. some kind of a yeah. She had to take stairs. Um, so this is where she comes back to the computer lab. And MacGyver's just sitting at her computer, like typing in random words as he sees objects in the room. Yeah, MacGyver's trying to hack her password. Right. And assuming that her password is. An actual word, which 
is not really safe to assume, but I and guess... Maybe in the 80s, people weren't very creative. Yeah. I mean, if the government's using Lippincott, which we have no idea what that's a reference right. to. I, I thought maybe it must be his last name, but... Whose last name? Uh, Rob Paulson's character. I don't think that is his last name, because I think his character is credited with some kind of a last name, but it's uh, not Lippincott. But yeah, when we Googled it, there's really no significant search result yeah. for Lippincott that has any meaning to anything. It's probably just like the writer's dog was Lippincott. Yeah, but especially with that particular spelling. Cause you, you see P-E-N-C-O-T-T. Yeah, because we see her type it in. Yeah. So there's no like mistranslating the spelling. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we couldn't find anything about it. If you know anything, please uh, feel free to email us. Yeah. Um, she enters this uh, the computer lab at the school behind Mac as he's typing stuff in. And uh, she figures out what he's doing and kind of makes fun of him about it. And then he starts digging into her personal life. Like, mm-hmm. oh, is that true what your mom said, that you don't have any friends? And she's like, oh, I don't need friends. And then he says something like, oh, so you just decided to go it on your own, huh? And mm-hmm. she starts to get really upset. And frankly, she deserves to, because it's really none of his business whether yeah. she wants to hang out with people or not. And and basically, every time she like hits a keyword, he tries that word. Yeah. Um, Starting with style, which I think would be the antithesis of her password, if I were guessing. Mm-hmm. Like... The whole point of her character so far is that she is not stylish and not interested in style in any way. Yeah, he yeah she, he he tries style boyfriend uh, egghead, egghead shrink right, um, and she kind of laughs at these crappy attempts mm-hmm. at her password, and, and oh. she the conversation kind of turns to her admitting frustratedly that she's not attractive and saying, "Oh, I'm not pretty. I'm I'm in like hesitating." And then MacGyver sort of fills in the blank with a password by typing in ugly duckling, mm-hmm. which it turns out is the password, which I think is actually pretty encouraging in terms of like her self-esteem. If she thinks she's an ugly duckling, then that, I mean, unless she didn't read the whole story <laughs> and she thinks that's just a story about a, a crappy duckling, it's just like, oh, this is a, this is a book about a terrible duckling trash. Well, where's the handsome duckling password. book? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that works, and then she says, oh no, it's true, I'm ugly, and everybody knows it, look, you know it. And he's like, that's your password, like, I just, yeah. gu- I just guessed it. Oh, uh, one scene that occurred uh, before this um, is we get another scene with Hatcher, the arms dealer. Right. He uh, he is now meeting with a buyer who wants to buy the missiles, but he needs proof that they have the guidance system fixed, which they don't yet. Right. Um, but Hatcher is selling them on it anyway. Yeah, and he says, and, but he's totally open about the fact that it doesn't work. He's like, I heard a rumor that they don't work. And he's like, yeah, they don't, but uh, we're going to fix it. Yeah. And uh, so the buyer wants a demonstration, which he doesn't tell him yet, but he says it's going to be a, like a public demonstration, like a large, well-known demonstration. A public demo, if yeah. you will. Uh, Let me see what well, I did there. Yeah, you see, it's, it's good. Because demo is demolition, demolition. demonstration. That's, uh, that's funny because it means two things. But... The so they only stole two missiles. Well, I think that they have two missiles ready. Oh, okay. I'm Maybe assuming that's the that case. they had a lot more missiles. Because if I mean, if they're asking me to to just waste one on a demonstration, then I mean, is the price prorated to not include that missile, mm-hmm. or are they going to charge them for that missile regardless because they were the ones who needed the demonstration? Yeah, I I think 
what's really confusing about this episode is part of that is the opening scene where we have this shootout about the missile. Right. And then we just get a casual piece of dialogue that from Pete saying that all these underworld people are trying to steal them. Right. And and it's just like, well, was that what happened or was that part of the plot? I mean, are we just seeing a random scene yeah, was that of just, violence? Was that just a, an occasion where this happened or was that the occasion that led to these missiles being handed right. over? Right. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it, it, the scene really didn't fit, but, uh, so, you know, then we have uh, MacGyver doing the, the, the password and Kate finally yields and tells him where the, the file is for the, for fixing the guidance system. Right. Just, she tells him what, what is the file type that she says? Do you know? It's a, it's got a, well, he uses a comma. I think it's like a PGM. Yeah. A PGM extension. extension. I guess it's supposed to be like program. Um, but no PGM, it, it's like a grayscale ASCII text, like graphical image. But I'm assuming, like, in their non-computer parlance time of the 80s. Well, this, I mean, these files were used in the 80s. Oh, really? It could have been, um, but, I mean, unless PGM was just random and they just thought it sounded like program. That's entirely possible. And he uses a comma instead of a dot. Right. Like, to, you obviously, people, most people know that nowadays when you enter an extension, there's a dot, then extension. But, again, this could be something that has changed, uh, between 1986 and now, like maybe commas were identified similarly by the computer yeah. as like separating the extension from the file name, but who knows? Uh, so they have the they ha- now have the file. He saves it to, I think he's, he saves it to a disk, doesn't he? Yeah. And so they're getting ready to make their way out and kind of finally clear clear up all this legal matter. But as soon as MacGyver opens the door, there's the. Th- one of the goons with yeah, a gun. Ned Bellamy again with the gun. Yeah, like he's like he's he's so drawn at the ready that he's his arm is already extended through the doorway. And MacGyver slams the gun on his oh, arm. God, every time I see that happen in a movie, when someone just slams a door on someone's arm or yeah. leg or head in Kill Bill, it's just like oh God in Kill Bill. I think the sound is what does now? it in Kill Bill when, yeah. when Buck is what just is getting now? demolished, especially when he goes, "Please stop." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, that just wet smack, though. It yeah. just sounds like concrete. It's just terrible. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it it always seems really painful. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, it's like a scissor. It's like a scissor motion, you know? Um, but then, so he, he does that, but then he opens the door completely. Yeah. So to kick Ned would have been able to just put the gun back up and shoot it, but he doesn't have time because of some clever editing and then Mac knocks the two guys back and him and Kate run to like a separate, like insulated room. Mm -hmm. It's like a sound booth in the corner of the classroom. Yeah. One thing about the computer lab is that there are no windows, right? It's, it's one of those in the center of the building rooms. Yeah. And then in that room is an, is an antechamber room, which is like windowed in. Yeah. (laughs) It's completely, there are windows, but they don't point outside. They just point into this antechamber. Uh, yeah, some kind of like storage room, and but inside is all the equipment that they need to make a sound. Yeah, sound device weapon. Uh, uh, just a big speaker, and uh, I guess they just turn it up to eleven and and let it go all night. <laughs> but uh, which which works? They have ear protection that they put it on. They just crank this thing up, and the the two goons are just totally incapacitated by this high pitch hum. I would call it. Yeah, and MacGyver and Kate are both wearing headsets so that they can't hear it. Like, they're wearing, like, earmuffs. Yeah. And, uh, 
MacGyver's just pushing it at them. Right, just like, directing... To try and push them, yeah, out of their way to get out of the classroom. Yeah, and he... Kate can see that the cord is running out. They're mm-hmm. losing their slack. And she tries to get his attention, but neither of them can hear over... Right. Yeah. And so the speaker goes out, the goons are regain their composure, and they actually don't kill MacGyver. Which, um... And I almost wonder when, when they came into the room the, in the first place, if they would have killed him or just said, hey, okay, hold out. it right there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they – there's really no reason to keep him alive, I guess. they they Unless, I mean, these guys just don't kill people. I mean, it does seem like was that accident. was an accident. Yeah. yeah. They're not that bad. <laughs> you know what? These are okay, guys. Uh, no they're... problem with launching a missile at thousands of people, but – yeah. But uh, I'm not going to hurt this guy. I feel bad. Um, maybe they thought uh, in case the girl doesn't cooperate, they'll need they might need him to fix the computer system. <laughs> yeah. Last resort, we'll keep this guy alive. <laughs> um, the next act opens up. Uh, MacGyver is kind of awkwardly dripping water on himself from a water cooler. Like I guess it's like a an attempt to create a cold compress. Oh, maybe, yeah. It, it's very strange. Like, he's just taking cold water and, like, dripping it on his the back of his head where he got hit. Yeah. Um. And uh, and so he realizes that, well, at least he very strangely realizes that Kate must have ha- gone back into the computer, shown before them. Before they left. Yeah, yeah, before they left, given them the computer program, but and then hopefully had time by distracting them with the boredom of computer hacking yeah, and uh, left MacGyver a message. And uh, yeah, he says that me and Kate have enough in common and I'm pretty sure she would have left me a message and just guesses that the program name is Duckling right. without the word ugly. Yeah. Which, I mean, maybe they are on that kind of a crazy level, but I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah, I think Ugly Duckling should have been... It should have just, yeah, it should have been Ugly Duckling again. Um, but it, it gives or Mac- style. <laughs> style. <laughs> you idiot. Um, it gives MacGyver a uh, uh, a satellite name and a frequency, and so MacGyver just grabs What's the phone. What's it called? The DXS. Oh, is we, it DXS? it's the FAA. Oh, he actually calls the FAA. Mm-hmm. Which wouldn't you call the FCC? The Federal Aviation Administration is just planes. Yeah. What would that have to do with a satellite? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he calls the FAA, and he has... Gives them this number that yeah. was in the document, and then says, check the Western United it States. States. Look, look for, looking for this frequency. Um, Kate had taken with her a portable radio with a transceiver, and she's broadcasting at this frequency. So, in theory, if as long as she's the only person broadcasting at that frequency... Which at, is why it's such a random number. Yeah. Um, that the satellite should be able to pick it up. Yeah. And and the conversation ends with he him sounding like he got an affirmative, like mm-hmm. he's just like, "Oh, you can't. Oh, well, great, thank you. That's why you guys are so good, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why people love you so much. Yeah, everyone loves the FAA. It's like, oh, by the way, can you also keep your eye out for a blue car <laughs> in the Western United States? <laughs> uh. <laughs> What is that from? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. It's not a reference to anything. I just mean, like, how vague is it? Like, can you look for any kind of a broadcast at a certain frequency? <laughs> uh, I feel like 
that was done in something recently. Like they were using a top-down satellite view, and it was like, well, can't you find it with the satellites? It's like, oh yeah, look, they they escaped in a. Oh, oh it was what? Archer. It was Archer. It was That's Archer, what it was. Yeah. A station wagon in all of Texas. Yeah. Oh, look, there's one. Oh, there's another one. Is that it? No. It is was... that it? Oh, yeah, is that it? Or is it that? Oh, is that it? Is that it? All right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. oh, oh there's another one. one. <laughs> oh, maybe it's this one. Oh, oh my God, that actually is them. <laughs> it's like the third card that he's joking yeah. about. Uh, yeah. That, that... <laughs> I love Archer. Um Cutting to, back to Kay with her transceiver, you know, she, she pockets it just so they can't really see it. And Hatcher gives her an ultimatum that either fix it willingly or we're going to drug you and have you tell us how to fix it. Right. Because she probably wouldn't be able to fix it if she was drugged. I don't I'm know assuming. why they're giving her a choice. I feel like... Because she could maybe pedophile. not fix it she correctly? Could sabotage your plans. She could lie to you about anything. She could have the missile blow up when you try to launch it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's any... really no cost to the villains who already paid for sodium pentothal mm-hmm. to not administer it. When uh, when MacGyver is going into the duckling program, when he hits enter, it almost looks like they're just reusing one of the shots of her hitting the enter button oh, when absolutely. she was at the office with ODI. Yeah, yeah, because she, she hits it it's about It's definitely a dozen the times. exact same keyboard that she's hitting enter on. MacGyver is actually now able to track her down to where she's being held. Right. And to within 100 yards. Yeah, which is close enough. Yeah. Uh, and so they lock Kate up in a very in a little shack, I guess, with the, with the generator for the compound. Keeping in mind that this is just like a small house and this like side generator shack. Yeah. Um, so MacGyver kind of waits for everyone to kind of clear out because they're moving the missiles and uh, there's only one guard left on patrol. So, but what's great about, like, see, this is what really, I really like about this character, is Kate already starts working on her own escape plan. Like, she's right. got... and she, she would have gotten out without MacGyver's help, yeah, probably. Ma- uh, maybe. It would have taken longer, but yeah. I think she would have. It probably would have been too late to do anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't see why she couldn't have used, like, well, oh, we'll, we'll talk about what she does here in a, right now. Um... So, She's in a generator shack, so she has access to electricity. Yeah. And they foolishly left jumper cables in there. Mm-hmm. And she basically uses two half-dollar coins. Yeah. <laughs> She's essentially doing what MacGyver did in Trumbo's world, but instead of welding a thing back together, she's cutting the bars. Yeah. With this electro... What would you call this Ar- device? Electric arc welding. Yeah. But it, she's disassembling it instead yeah. of putting things together. And so while she's doing that... Uh, MacGyver is sneaking his way around and uh, chloroforms a shotgun-wielding uh, guard. And so it, it's so strange that he happened to have his chloroform on him, I guess. Yeah. As you do with MacGyver. Right. So MacGyver kind of like sneaks around and then he finds her arc-welding her way out. And he's like, hey, nice job. Like He's, he's really impressed with the fact that she thought of this. But the bars are too, too hot for her to squeeze yeah. through. Well, plus she was cutting the middle of the bar. Which I was criticizing when we were watching it, but now that I think about it, if you want to take the least amount of time, you cut the middle of the bar so that you can bend them out. If but, you cut the bottom, then you're still going to have to push on the hottest part right next to where you cut to bend it out with yeah, the we, most torque. We, it's the same if you cut it in the middle. You still have to push it in the, from the middle out. Yeah. So it doesn't make a difference. So what I'm saying is that I'm stupid. Yeah, that's okay. 
But yeah, she could have just cut the bottom and the top of that bar, and just it would have fallen out. Yeah, and she or, wouldn't have had or, to touch. Or it. even better, you can just squeeze through those bars. Cause... Or like you suggested, walk out the front door because yeah. MacGyver already chloroformed the guard, who probably had a key if the door was yeah. even locked. Had a key, or and and has a shotgun. Granted, MacGyver does not use guns, not but a fan. but uh, he could use gunpowder. Or he we've seen him pick locks before. Or heck, all you have to do is just break the lock it's just some little padlock on a door yeah it's a rickety wooden shack it's it's not fort knox but again he instead he finds an aerosol can in a random bin that he was just counting on being down there yeah and, and then, he uses it to spray the bar yeah, to cool it down mm-hmm. and then do, do they bend it out or we don't even see he just sprays he, the thing yeah, and then it cuts it to them down. in the car later yeah in the meantime she's gone out the front door right look <laughs> we don't have time for that Hold on, this is going to look great when I finish painting it green. <laughs> he paints an image of a completed bar. <laughs> this <laughs> will fool them. <laughs> uh, so, they don't know where they've gone with the missile. Um, I, earlier, I guess, a spoiler alert, I had mentioned missiles, that there are more than one. Right. Uh, that's a plot twist that is going to come up here in a second. Um, but yeah, Hatcher gets the target which is the uh the clinton narrows bridge which i'm wondering if that's the one that replaced the tacoma narrows no bridge? it's it's actually a fictional bridge there okay. is no clinton narrows bridge it was the footage that they use is um just the bay bridge okay um because yeah it's like i mean you know the tacoma narrows bridge is pretty famous but i think that was yeah. in washington wasn't it yes yeah so that's um, where tacoma is so yeah yeah uh if you're unfamiliar with the tacoma narrows bridge it's a very uh fascinating thing about uh resonance and wind on suspension bridges before they realize that uh such a thing could happen to a suspension bridge where right. the wind moving across it would cause the bridge to vibrate and create a waveform that would tear, tear the bridge apart yeah there's pretty terrifying video of it yeah. wobbling around um so the exact coordinates that they get uh I'll read off the whole coordinates, but it's uh, 37 degrees, 47 minutes north, and 122 degrees, 30 minutes west. Now, these are very generalized coordinates because they're not to the second. Right. Um, So they actually cover a pretty broad area. Uh, But uh, where this is is actually outside of the bay. Um, It's west of the Golden Gate Bridge, west of Golden Gate Park, out on the – that, I guess – what you would call the mouth of the bay. Right. It's um, in Lincoln Park-ish. It's like, like call it Land's End Park. There's also a, a, a veteran's center there, like a VA hospital. Okay. Um, but where it's supposed to be is this bridge where they're running a marathon today. Right. Uh, today being the episode. Yeah. <laughs> it, in, the, in, the, in the universe of MacGyver yeah. today, they're running They're not marathon. running a marathon currently in 2015 on a fictional bridge. Right. Um, so MacGyver comes up with a plan to try to figure out where the missiles are using triangulation. So after they leave this shack, um, MacGyver's just driving for an indeterminate amount of time and suddenly pulls over and she's like, oh, the longer we're not moving, the farther away they get if they're moving. (laughs) And, um, and MacGyver says, well, we got a radio here and we got, uh, you have a radio on you that you were using to draw me out. And, uh. And essentially, like, 
leaves a bunch of clues out for her to figure out what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually she pieces together that they're going to triangulate the signal and figure out not only where these guys are, but what exactly they're saying mm-hmm. on their radios. Um, and so he, they separate, and he has a radio, and she has the radio that she was using to broadcast her signal, but now the battery's dead. Right. Because she had it on for Sarsat. Um, and so they recharge the battery <laughs> using... Cactuses. Yeah, using a cactus somehow. Uh, yeah, the, the um, it's kind of the same principle about using like a potato or like a tomato for for a battery. It's essentially yeah. that there are electrolytes suspended in the fluids inside, and when you put two pieces of metal, the electrolytes flow towards them in the flow of electricity and create a current. Right. Um. So they're using that electricity to power her radio. And he has a handheld radio, and then there's the radio in the car. Because mm-hmm. um, really, a radio needs almost no electricity. Right. Because it, it can actually be be charged enough with electricity from the radio waves. Right. But uh, the, the, the electricity is used to amplify it, so you don't need as much signal right. to hear it. Um, but they're using their watches to basically, they point 12 north, mm-hmm. and then they hold the antenna against the watch to determine the, the, direction. the direction that this signal is being broadcast from. Right. But, unfortunately, when they're doing this, you can see the time on their watches. Mm-hmm. So, um, keeping in mind that this missile is supposed to be fired at 1.30, or, yeah, 1.30 is when they said they're going to launch this attack. Uh, MacGyver's watch reads 1249, Mm -hmm. which is about 40 minutes before this attack is supposed to happen. Kate's reads 1147, which is almost an hour slow from (laughs) from Mac's watch. Um, And then once they get the directional calibration and they listen to this whole broadcast, then Mac looks at his watch again and it says 103. So it's taken them about 15 minutes to get this signal right. And, And basically from their triangulation, the bad guy should only be about, like, 20 feet away. Right. Because, like, he's... They're, they're not that far apart. They're maybe, at the most, 20, 30 yards apart. Yeah. And and if she's getting... 2 o'clock, two o'clock and he's and getting he's 11. 11 o'clock. From they that, should be within sight. Exactly. That they, they cannot be that far. Um, um, and then just one scene later, when they do catch up with them and figure mm-hmm. out where they are, Kate goes to look at her watch again. Yeah, and it's a completely different watch. And, um, and it's a more accurate watch, because now uh, her watch says that it's one eighteen. Mm-hmm. So now they're 12 minutes from launch. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's a totally different yeah, shape. It's, totally different. it's so nitpicky, but it stood out instantaneously to me when I watched it. I was like... That's not the same watch. But now, in the 15 minutes that are supposed to have passed, Kate's watch has gone from being an hour behind to exactly on time. Because it's a different watch. Right. She She's, just she threw that other watch away yeah. and got another watch on the this way. This watch keeps terrible time. <laughs> um, There's a moment here when they're um, getting ready to set up for the, uh, the triangulation MacGyverism, where she says... Um, all for one, just like kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. And MacGyver, uh, I mean, I always kind of believe what MacGyver is saying and everything, everything about him seems very genuine, but this comes across as one of those ultra genuine, like potentially even improvised moments. Mm-hmm. And he just answers her with, and one for all, I can't believe he said that. 
that. And it just feels like so like like he actually felt that way. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know how to explain that really. Other it just feels ultra genuine. And it, it was it was a really kind of a funny little moment. Yeah. By the way, it doesn't seem that the bad guys realize that there's a marathon happening on the bridge. Yeah, yeah, they they don't even really seem to care, but... Uh, at, at this point, Kate and MacGyver are intercepting this phone call conversation mm-hmm. where this target is being described and he says... Uh, the, the guy talking to Hatcher says that we're aiming for the Clinton Arrows Bridge and we want to hit it at 1.30. That's when traffic count is the lowest. Or he says... Traffic count is lowest, man. Hmm. Which, I don't know if he's just trying to trick Hatcher, or if he really doesn't realize that there's a marathon going on that day, right. and you're going to kill way more people than usual by blowing up that bridge. And the guy can see it from his hotel room, so he yeah. has to know there's a marathon going on that day. Uh, so, the two goons, Ned Bellamy and his other friend, have the missile. They're waiting for uh, Hatcher to kind of give them the go signal, and... But they're out in the middle of this kind of open open uh, section of ground. Right. No bushes, no rocks, or anything to hide behind. So if they make like an all-out rush towards them, they'll they'll get blown away. Right. Because they're they're well armed. It's too wide a clearing. So they start disassembling parts of the jeep and uh, MacGyver's binoculars to create a kind of a solar laser, I guess. Yeah, they're using the headlight as a parabolic mirror, and the rear view mirrors mm-hmm. to like direct aim it. the sunlight yeah and they're using the the lens of the binoculars before it goes into the mirror to, to... focus the light for a farther distance yeah so they you know they have like a pretty good sunbeam going on and macgyver's using it to heat up the ejector port uh of the shotgun that's been just leaned against a, a, a car a jeep well, it's not only that, but it's not only has it been leaned up, it's leaned up against the gas extra tank, gas, gas tank. Yeah. It's, ter- it's not a good place to leave a gun, no matter what. Yeah. Um, so um, we get some good effects, though, of this gun kind of melting and heating up and, yeah. and starting to, like, glow from the heat. Um, and a pretty cool explosion. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand why MacGyver just didn't use it at them or with a missile. Yeah. Like... Those also would have been good plans. These missiles, by the way, they look pretty massive. I happen to know that this missile weighs practically nothing, because if you've seen any of the promotional stills for MacGyver when it first came out, you're likely to have seen this one of him holding this particular missile just up over a shoulder. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm doubly certain that these photos were taken on the set of this particular episode is because MacGyver's wearing the same sort of burgundy shirt here. It's like a silk shirt. Um, in the promotional stills that he's wearing in this episode. So I'm pretty sure they just took that missile off the truck for a photo shoot real quick for a TV guide or something and then threw it back on the truck and went back to shooting. It's like, yeah, this picture's not action-y enough. Can you hold a giant missile? Yeah, hold a missile. Not only are you MacGyver, but you're super strong. I don't use guns. I use ICBMs. Yeah, I just throw (laughs) missiles at people. (laughs) Um, when I'm not using guns. Right. Uh, so the gas tank, you know, the, the shotgun blows up and then blows up the gas tank of the Jeep. Yeah. Which just kind of knocks the guys out, I guess. I think that's just MacGyver trying not to traumatize Kate. <laughs> they dead. killed these guys. Ned, Ned Bellamy is dead. Yeah. 
I mean, MacGyver doesn't even check, like, take a pulse or anything. She's just like, "Are they dead?" And he's just like, "No, nah, they're just knocked out for a while. <laughs> no. Don't, don't, don't go over there. Yeah, <laughs> don't look at their faces. They're, they're, we're gonna send them to a farm later where they can be free. <laughs> and they don't wake up for any of this, like, yeah. next bit. They're, they're just lying there, quote unquote, unconscious. When uh, Hatcher radios in to begin the launch, and he mm-hmm. wants, a, he wants the countdown over the radio. And so MacGyver is basically posing as Ned Bellamy's character. Yeah, it's it's very like Larkin. Han Solo. It's like, oh, we're all fine here. How are you? Um, and so MacGyver just starts counting down, and Hatcher like instantly realizes he's just like, that it's, oh, it's not you. I'm gonna launch my missile, and he's like, whatever, boring conversation anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's when we find out that there's a second missile that he's gonna launch, and uh, so they only have a few moments. Uh, before the next missile goes up and uh, they get the idea to take the guidance system out of the missile that they have so it would essentially revert ref- back to its heat seeking like a yeah as if as if missiles will suddenly just like revert to a previous behavior when you remove pieces from them yeah so you know it, it comes down to like like a ticking clock they're trying to pry this chip out of uh out of the missile and uh Hatcher launches his missile and you see the buyer who it looks like he's in a hotel in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah he's, he's but he's watching the one missile go up. Now keep in mind that uh we don't know where they are, where MacGyver or where Hatcher are. Right. Because we don't know where the school is. Yeah, they or could the be professor. launching from almost anywhere. Yeah. I mean, if if MacGyver was talking to the professor when he got shot and then was with Pete, they got to be in the Los Angeles area. Right. But they also need to be somewhere that they could see these two missiles colliding. Yeah. And if they're colliding somewhere that the guy in San Francisco can see them hitting each other, maybe they're somewhere in between. Yeah, it, it's... San Luis Obispo or something. Yeah, it, it just seems really, like, if if all this was happening in L.A. until she was kidnapped, and then MacGyver had to drive... But we don't know how long MacGyver was driving when he went to go find her. But, ah, God, but... After the FAA got a hold of him and they were like, hey, she's in the bay. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'm going up that way. I guess I'm going up that way. Hopefully they don't watch a missile in the next ten hours. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he's watching the one missile go up and then uh, MacGyver and Kate managed to get the chip Does out. Does this whole thing happen in one day? Yeah, it's like, it's been a day. He met her that morning. He left, he came back, she got kidnapped, she mm-hmm. got saved, then they... Wow, this, that's this, crazy. This is a crazy day for Kate. Yeah. Um, they uh, they launch their missile, and we get some really great stock footage of like an actual missile takedown. Right. Yeah. Like the we we see like a missile flying, and then another missile just come out of nowhere and just boom, blow it up. I always love in that footage. Like anytime you see a missile interception footage, there's always like the last quarter of a second before the explosion mm-hmm. when the intercepting missile speeds up super fast. Yeah. Like, it's always the coolest part of that footage because it's like when it's locking on the hardest. It's like when two magnets are getting closer and closer together, they go that much faster at the end because mm-hmm. the, they're drawn that much yeah, faster. Yeah. Well, and and obviously, like, a mis- the the intercepting missile has to be faster right, yeah. than the other missile. But it's just cool to watch it when it delivers yeah, that yeah, yeah. final blow. Um, and this is being intercut with footage of of people running a marathon mm-hmm. on the Bay Bridge, and we yeah. don't know which marathon this is, but it looks like much earlier than 86. I yeah, would guess like 82, looks, 83. Yeah, it's old footage. Um, 
And uh, so that's it. Though with the day saved, uh, you see the buyer kind of just kind of frown and look, look solemnly away t- from the window. Um, so after that scene, we're right back to the bar, the nightclub bar that we opened with. Right. And uh, it's like another. They big... just hired an electric guitarist to yeah. fill in for the dead sax player. And they have all kinds of like you know like crazy lighting effects. There's this giant light bar that's like spinning out of control. It looks like it could kill somebody. Um, but and there's the... a bunch of 18 year olds, yeah. 17, 18 year olds at this drinking club. in a bar. Um, and so MacGyver is once again there uh, chatting up a waitress, and uh, that's when Kate sees him, and she now she's dressing. I don't say she's dressing like a girl, but she's definitely dressing with more more color. She puts some makeup on, some earrings, and she's she's out on the town. Yeah. Like she's she's opening up. She's not being so isolated. Uh, she's even. Uh, Do they ever of... officially say that this is high school and that it's not college? I mean, I know yeah. that's according to episode thirteen. MacGyver went to college in up in Westport, and it, so he wouldn't have gone to college in Los Angeles. But I don't remember them saying high school specifically. Yeah, I'm gonna say that. It also, professor seems like a weird word for a high school. Like, yeah, I think that's a college. Um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna say it's college only because they he MacGyver when he sees her he says the the department wants to set you up with your own lab when you graduate. Right. So obviously that probably wouldn't happen after graduating high school. Right. They'd probably want a college educated. And her completely underwhelmed response of "That's pretty all right. That's good." Yeah. It's just frustrating. It's also extremely 80s to say that's pretty all right. <laughs> that's pretty all right. Just seems like something Jim would You're have gonna said. You're going to get paid a lot of money. You're getting a laboratory from the government. That's pretty all right. <laughs> it's definitely all right. Yeah, I think I think you're going to be okay. Um, Unless she, you stick with this guy. Yeah, this creepy, the, the guy who's playing her boyfriend, or at least her date. Um who's shy but she says but can he compute and it's like can he i thought the computer does that yeah (laughs) isn't that aren't there machines that do that i forget what they're called some kind of computating machine (laughs) uh but this guy looks like he's a prime candidate for the trench coat mafia i don't understand what she's doing with him and he's just got molester written all over his face Mm -hmm. no offense to the actor who played him (laughs) yeah but he's, I mean, he's wearing like a members only jacket that matches his pants mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's at a club with his hands in his pockets, just really uncomfortable. I mean, I know that's kind of the point is that yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not supposed to be part of that group, but they suddenly dressed her up like someone that got kicked out of Jim mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's and, a weird that this is her boyfriend. And she keeps looking back at MacGyver while he's, while she's supposed to be kind of like interacting with him. It's like, oh, she goes to start to dance with him, and then she looks over at MacGyver like, to make sure it's okay. And then they start dancing. It kind of feels like she's just trying to make MacGyver jealous. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It's, it's a really awkward thing. Like, look who I'm with. Ah, um, look, I got a boyfriend. How come, does that make you feel? Yeah, come and save me from this guy, MacGyver. Because they have that line in the Jeep when she says, you know, I've never really had a... And then he's like, friend? And she's like, I guess. <laughs> it's like, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> And yeah, that's the end of the episode. So one of the guest appearances for this episode uh, for Agent Rogers is a very, very talented voice actor and actor, uh, Rob Paulson. Yeah. And uh, very excited that you got a chance to actually speak one-on-one with him. Yeah, this was uh, pretty exciting for me, too, because he 
really has been one of my. He's voiced so many of my favorite all-time characters as a kid. Yeah, so. my yeah he. He is just everything about my childhood that I can think of. Like I, he, I grew up with him in my house practically. Yeah. So uh, why don't we play that for you now, and then we'll come back and talk about how much we love him some more. Before we jump in, though, I, I did want to thank you for a number of things. Obviously, first for sharing your time with us today. We we truly appreciate it. That's my pleasure. But I also wanted to thank you specifically for your podcast and for the charity work that you do. And um, oh. We'll be putting up links to both the Wounded Warrior Project and Operation Smile when this episode goes up. Thank you so much. That really, I really appreciate that, Patrick. It's very, very kind of you. Thank you. Sure. And, and uh, beyond that, just personally, I, I wanted to thank you for your podcast and for voicing so many of my favorite cartoon characters. I mean, Raphael and Yakko were idols of mine growing up. And uh, Oh, great. I, I actually turned a, a C-plus into a B-minus by reciting Yakko's world in class, so thanks Atta for that. boy. Good. Well, then all that work wasn't for nothing. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> um, on to the MacGyver questions, though. Yeah. Did you audition for the role of Agent Rogers on MacGyver? Oh, absolutely. I was only, gosh, 27, 28 years old, so, uh, I, and I still auditioned. So, yeah, I totally, absolutely auditioned for it. Um, and do you remember what that process was? Well, it was like every other audition. Um, you know, you go to the particular studio, um, MacGyver was ABC, right? Uh, yeah, it aired on ABC, yeah. ABC, yeah. So, honestly, I don't recall where I auditioned. It was probably at ABC, maybe ABC Prospect. Um, it was a traditional audition. I went in and um, probably looked at it for 15, 10, 15 minutes in the waiting room and went in and did my little uh, uh, government agent spiel, and somehow I luckily got that job. <laughs> Were you familiar with the show at the time? I was, um, and I uh, I also got to know Rick Anderson pretty well. I played hockey with Rick. Yeah. Uh, Richard Dean Anderson um, for uh, three, about four or five years. He and I were part of a uh, celebrity hockey team here in L.A., and I was there primarily as a result of my animation work because um, uh, the, uh, the hockey team was generally... Yeah, you know, we'd go around and play the old timers of National Hockey League games to raise money for charities, by and large, uh, children's charities. And I could be very helpful because I happen to be a hockey player having grown, grown up in Michigan. I think Mick Rick's from Minnesota. Yeah. And um, I grew up in Michigan, played a lot of hockey, and we played pickup hockey on the weekends together. And I got hooked up with this team. And so I got to know Richard Dean quite well. He was a delightful guy. I haven't seen him for a few years. I had a, there were several years where I've not seen him, and then he and I live in the same general area. And I saw him at the a motorcycle shop a few years back. He's a, a rider, like as am I, and so we got a chance to touch base a bit. And he's just a, a great guy. Have you talked to him yet? Uh, we have not, but we definitely have. Uh, we'll we'll be reaching out that way. Really terrific guy, and uh, I think he started out on soaps, and um, uh, you know he's ridiculously handsome, but he's a <laughs> Just a really, really nice fellow, and uh, so yeah, I got to play hockey with Rick and work with him on MacGyver, and uh, uh, it was, uh, as I recall, a great, uh, an enjoy. I think the, the show, the episode I did was called Ugly Duckling, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Yeah. Um, I don't recall the young lady with whom I worked, um, or who was playing the little girl that was. Uh, yeah. Computer. Yeah. Um, but uh, I had a, a good time. Mainly, as I recall, because I got to work with Russell Johnson, who yeah. unfortunately passed away. But when I grew up, you know, I 
I was a huge fan of Gilligan's Island. Yeah. <clears throat> so to get a chance to work with the professor <laughs> was just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, we had lunch together a couple of days, and he told me, gave me such great uh, stories about working on Gilligan's Island. And it was just, a, to this day, remains a big thrill to work with somebody who was such a, you know, a TV icon. Sure. Um, and it was a very, very nice guy. Everybody, they were all decent. Um, <laughs> Dana Elkar, you know, um, Rick, everybody was just so nice to me and, and clearly made an impression because that was a long time ago. Has it occurred to you that you and, and Richard Dean Anderson have sort of similar origin stories and that you, you both at one point intended to play hockey professionally and were kind of sidelined by injuries and then went on to play such iconic TV characters? Well, I wasn't sidelined. I know Rick had knee, knee issues. I was not sidelined by injury. I was side, sidelined by lack of talent. Um, <laughs> I uh, loved hockey and desperately wanted to be a professional hockey player, but I was fortunate um, that I learned that I had neither the talent nor the temperament <laughs> to make a dime playing hockey, so I chose to fall back on something equally as specious, which was acting, and luckily it's worked out for me. But, um, no, I, I, was, uh, I had a ball, and I'm like, I can find my way up and down the ice okay, but... I am by no stretch of the imagination a great hockey player. I just really love the game, and I was, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I play well enough not to embarrass myself, but <laughs> I have a feeling Rick was a much better player than I. Uh, he suffered some injuries. In my case, it was clearly a lack of talent that sidelined my hockey career. <laughs> uh, speaking of your, uh, the TV characters that you've played, um, I, mm-hmm. I had kind of a, a sort of a deep cut Ninja Turtles question for you. Um, oh, yeah. Is it disorienting to flirt as Donatello with Mae Whitman's April O'Neil after flirting as Raphael with her mother, Pat Music's Mona Lisa character? No. You know, it's <laughs> like any other job. It's, uh, uh, I, I've done so many, and gratefully so, so many different episodes of so many different shows now that uh, it is, um, while I take every one of them seriously and I work really hard to make sure the producer gets what they need, uh, I am not... I am not uh, influenced by a previous show to the extent that it would in, in, infringe on my, you know, current gig. Sure, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm professional enough to go, oh, okay, well, that was cool, and I love being the original Raphael, and nobody can take that away from me, and that's a big deal. I mean, that's a pop culture phenomenon, but to get another shot at, you know, at the uh, riding in the turtle van, so to speak, um, <laughs> with the beautiful Mae Whitman, whom I adore, and I've known her, mother and father since before she was born. I've known May since literally she was born. Yeah. And uh, so proud of her. She has become, she's not only a terrific actress, she's a lovely young lady, and she's becoming a movie star, man. She's a, she's a big-time Hollywood actress and the most down-to-earth, unassuming, really lovely girl whom you'd ever want to meet. Just great, great girl. And I, I enjoyed your your uh, the Talking Tunes episode where you where you had her and Pat on the show. That was that was a great episode. Wasn't that great? Yeah, I was up at May's house and her mom came over and her dad was there. We had a couple of drinks and a nice time, and it, it's just really fun to you know. I mean, I haven't even heard it. I, I often do these things and never hear them because I'm busy when they're on, and I just don't you know. I've done 130 or whatever, 140 of them now. Um, but I remember having such a great time, and there's just there's no way you cannot have a good time. She's She's just delightful, and she's just beautiful, and a really, really lovely girl. Yeah. Um, you have mentioned on your podcast that you occasionally loop for actors, like, for instance, Jim Carrey in, in Liar Liar. 
um, in places. Uh -huh. um, I was curious if you'd ever looped for Will Arnett that you know of, because his voice, and almost specifically his Lego Batman voice, sounds exactly like Throttle from Biker Mice to me. Wow. No, I haven't, and I have never met Will. I'm a fan. Um, uh, I really enjoy Will. I loved him in um, Arrested Development in particular. He was just so cynically wacky, man. Yeah. I just loved him in that show. Terrific actor. No, I never have. Not that I know of. Uh, I, I, I mean, and, and I think my work to revoice Jim was as a result of my doing the mask. You know, as I, the story goes, and I, I had it told to me. I don't have a first-hand knowledge because I wasn't there, but I was told that his agent or manager or somebody said, well, get that guy that does the mask on CBS, the cartoon. He sounds like you. And, and so that's, you know, I think I probably did Jim's voice three or four times, maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't recall ever having the pleasure of doing the same for Will Arnett. I'd love to meet him. He's a terrific talent. And uh, uh, lastly, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are already familiar with Talking Tunes, but we'll be putting a link up to uh, your podcast oh, and, and your Patreon thank sites, you so obviously. Much. Is, is there anything else you'd like to let our listeners know about that's that's coming up soon? This episode will be posting on Friday. Um, well, if they like Ninja Turtles, uh, it's pretty unusual to have somebody who was in the original show that has ended up as a different character and new iteration, which is arguably as successful as the original. Yeah. Um, the new, I don't know if you're familiar with the new show at all? Uh, yes, yeah. The new Turtle show, it's doing great. And um, by and large, we get fantastic ratings from reliable and uh, auspicious outfits like IGN. You know, IGN is, is, certainly has a lot of gravitas, and yeah. uh, they love the new Ninja Turtles. And I think that's, you know, Entertainment Weekly, by and large, everything. Um, and I think that the reason the new Turtles is so good is because it's being made by people who are probably about your age. And uh, they grew up being turtle fanatics. And so Ciro Nielli and Brandon Allman, who produced the show uh, on behalf of Nickelodeon and Viacom, um, are turtle geeks. And so they have such reverence for the show and the characters, but I think, more importantly, they have reverence for the fan base, because they are the fan base. Yeah. And if if, though, if your listeners like Turtles, give the new show a, a, a turn, man. It's really good. It's yeah. so good. And, uh, I mean, I'm I'm grateful because I get to be a different Turtle. I figure if I live to be 100, I can knock all four of them out. <laughs> um, I was Raphael when you guys were babies, and now I get to be Donatello, and it's a very good, and Greg Sipes, whom you guys may know as Beast Boy and a bunch of other characters as Michelangelo. Um, uh, Leonardo is uh, Seth Green, and Raphael now is uh, Sean Astin. Yep. Uh, Shredder is the fantastic uh, Kevin Michael Richardson plays Shredder. Really, really good group, and a terrific actor who is a regular on... Um, uh, well, the actor I'm talking about is Hoon Lee, who is oh. great, who plays Master Splinter, and he's just really does justice to Pete Renaday, who did the original one. Yeah. And he is also a regular on a live-action show, um, but it is a uh, an odd show, and I, I really, I've enjoyed it. Uh, oh, Banshee. That's what it's called, Banshee. Oh, okay. Uh, Hoonley is a regular on Banshee, and uh, look it up. It's really cool, but his work on Turtles is just outstanding. Got great actors. Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator yeah. uh, plays the Rat King, who is just, my favorite badass bad guy on the show. It's a really, really good show. So anyway, watch that. Um, for those of you who have little kids, I do a really cool show called Doc McStuffins for Disney. 
I'm doing a couple of really fun things for Netflix on behalf of uh, uh, DreamWorks. Tress McNeil, the beautiful, legendary Tress McNeil, and I do a show called Veggie Tales for DreamWorks, and I'm doing another one for them called um, King Julian, which is the spinoff of Penguins of Madagascar, starring the uh, two-time Emmy winner Danny Jacobs as King Julian, and I'm on that show for Netflix. So, yeah, man, I'm really lucky, and I've been doing my podcast, Talking Tunes, now for about four years, and we do it uh, not only one-on-one with the, you know, actors' homes, but we do it once a month or so here at the legendary improv club in uh, Hollywood. You know, and tonight I have Brad Garrett on and everybody, Mark Hamill, Billy West, Maurice LaMarche, Tress McNeil, Lorraine Newman, April Winchell, uh, you know, Chris Summer. Um, John DiMaggio. <laughs> John DiMaggio, Dee Bradley Baker, uh, Tara Strong, um, just really, really everybody whom you'd ever want to hear from. Nancy Cartwright, um, uh, Greg Delisle, just really phenomenal actors. Clancy Brown, Dave Coulier, um, Kevin Michael Richardson, Tom Kenny, uh, all really, really wonderful actors. And, uh, you know, they, they show up and we have a blast. And it's it really is a wonderful show, and and in Thank a lot you. of ways, I feel like it it has helped motivate me to keep this show going. Thank you, man. That is a real compliment. I, I'm so grateful that I do something that is inspiring to young folks, and you know we're all in this together, man. And if you go, if you find a way to be creative and get your stuff up out there, then I encourage everybody listening to to do it. And I have to tell you, man, nobody who's who does what we do, uh, that is to say make a living, you know, doing cartoon voices or comedy or whatever. Nobody ever starts out that I know of. All of my friends tonight, Brad Garrett and all these big-time celebrities included, none of us started out doing it for the money. We yeah. all do it because it makes us happy, makes our soul happy. Certainly, get you know, we get attention. It makes others happy. But then one day you find out, wow, I can maybe make a living. But irrespective of whether you do, it's about doing it for the, the most noble of, of reasons, which is because it makes you happy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, on that note, actually, I, I wanted to be sure and deliver a message on behalf of uh, my co-host, Richard Wells, uh, who would like to say, and I'll just quote him directly, thank you for my childhood, Mr. Paulson. Oh, well, that is the ultimate compliment. I am really, truly, I, I, I hear that a lot, and it never gets old. It is such a profound compliment to have somebody say, you know, in a positive way, hey, man, you were a huge part of my childhood. And often, you know, folks like Maurice LaMarche and friends who, who do this sort of thing, we find that often we do characters that have had a profoundly positive effect on people, not only just in entertaining them, but quite often people who have had a very difficult time and, and but for Bart Simpson or The Brain or uh, Philip J. Fry or Mickey Mouse or whatever, they would have had an inordinately difficult time, and a character that one of us has done has gotten them through a particularly rough patch. So yeah. uh, thank you. Please tell him I said thank you very much, and, and uh, I can never hear that enough, and, and it is not lost on me, and what a, what a profound compliment that is. Well, I want to thank you again so much for sharing your time with us today. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate you being so patient, and, and I hope I was able to answer your questions in a relatively entertaining way. No, absolutely. This, is, this has been a, a fun conversation. Thank you so much. Not at all, buddy. Take care of yourself. <laughs> all right. So long. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thanks again to Rob for that. Um, one thing 
that I neglected to ask about that, that in retrospect I wish I had thought to ask about is the fact that um, he was in something that was pretty epic, which was the very first Got Milk commercial. Okay. He's the voice of the radio personality asking who shot Alexander Hamilton. Really? Yeah. So if oh you rewatch that commercial, which, by the way, was directed by Michael Bay, and <laughs> you can tell rewatching it now that it's directed by Michael Bay. I, I tend not to believe anything that you say about this. <laughs> Look sounds, it up. It sounds ridiculously so amazing. The guy who can't say Aaron Burr because his mouth is full of cookies or whatever, yeah. brownies, and he doesn't have any milk left, um, is the guy that played the uh, defendant in jury duty that's what i know him from mm. first he's kind of a strange looking guy i forget his name but he he played like a lot of weird characters for a while that was like his niche for a while yeah and uh and he plays this character who you're listening to uh rob paulson uh come back from a commercial break on some classical radio station mm. and ask questions about uh alexander okay. hamilton yeah. and who shot him and this guy has basically made his his home into a museum of aaron burr and he has like the bullet <laughs> and he has everything and uh it's very clearly a michael bay commercial just based on the warehouse this this dilapidated warehouse with all this these fine furnishings mm -hmm. but um but i just wanted to ask how that whole thing came about <laughs> and what it was like to be the beginning of such like an epic you know that campaign. that campaign yeah, went yeah. on forever, and it and beyond even got milk. It became so many other slogans and comedy memes online and stuff like that. But uh, but I regret not asking him about that. Maybe we can shoot him an email or something. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, th that was really cool of him to chat with us. So. Yeah, he he is so active uh, with with all different charities and his own podcasts and shows that he does. Yeah. Um. So it was so great for him to give us some time, but. It just also just just hearing him, just hearing him talk, because you can hear you can hear all the characters when he speaks. Yeah, you can just hear and and it just takes you back to to the '80s for me. I mean, obviously before you know, but uh, you know for Ninja Turtles and then yeah, he's there's definitely a lot of like you feel like you're talking to Raphael when you're mm -hmm. talking to him because that I feel like that character is probably the closest to his natural voice. It's kind of a mix of that and Yakko. Mm -hmm. It was it was a, probably around uh, like late junior high to early high school that I started really paying attention to voice actors. Yeah. I, I really started trying to figure out who these people are and I wanted to learn their names. Right. Like I was like, these people are doing so great and I, I really should know them like I know Harrison Ford or George Clooney by sight. Yeah. I should I should be able to identify them by sound. And I think Rob and and probably Jim Cummings were two of the first that I was like I know these people, and I'm going to start hearing them everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, like I said, when you just hear him speak, you can you can hear you can hear uh, Yakko, you can hear Raphael, and obviously like the new uh, Donatello that he's playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I uh, I watch just like anything, like Rick and Morty. Like he plays characters on Rick and Morty, and it's like, oh, there's there's Rob Paulson. Yeah, he's he's all over the board. You know, I mean, he's doing four or five shows at a time. It seems like he's just everywhere. Mm -hmm. And to see him in this episode of MacGyver, as he also enjoyed being alongside the professor, as we brought up. But yeah, so we want to thank him again for for putting aside the time to chat with us. We know he's super busy with with all of his work and his right, podcasts, right. and and uh, we we really couldn't appreciate it more. So yeah, thank you, thank you. So in addition to Rob Paulson, who was great, uh, we also have another good star, great star, uh, Darcy Marta, who played Kate Lafferty. Yeah, so why don't we play that for you now? Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. My pleasure. 
this episode is actually your first credit on IMDb, and I was curious if you had any other uncredited roles before this. Gosh, I, you know what? I never even really bothered to pay attention to IMDb too yeah. much. Um, I know I, I did a, a number of different episodes and things, and so I don't really know what's on there. Um, that was my first bigger part. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I had things like, oh, like a couple of rock videos and some movies of the week and some smaller parts on uh, like episodics and stuff. But okay. so I, I'm sorry, I didn't bother really to look at it. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, do, you, mm-hmm. do you remember what the audition process was like for MacGyver? Yeah, it was really, it was really fun. Um, I remember uh, I read for the casting director and then she brought me back for the director and the executive producer was out of town. So I had to wait a couple of days and then I had to go back in and read for Henry Winkler, who was executive producer on that. Yeah. And the thing is, is the way I, when I was working back in Hollywood and uh, I was, I was older and I didn't tell anybody my age cause I looked so much younger. So I couldn't, it was really hard for me to get work for my age. So I was 20, I think I was 28 at the time. And I was, I told everybody I was a 19 year old girl. <laughs> so I could audition for 14 year old, 16 year old roles. Yeah, is what yeah. I was doing. Yeah. They, they, it's harder to get away with that now than it was back then. So I would never tell anybody my age. Cause I was just telling everybody I was 19 all the time. <laughs> Except when I met Henry Winkler, because he was used to that whole thing from happy day. He looked at me and he goes, how old are you really? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, I'm going to follow you around and find out how old you really are. I'm like, stop it, stop it, because I have to keep acting like a 19-year-old. So it was very sweet. It was very sweet. How much of yourself do you see in the character of Kate Lafferty? Uh, I think, you know, her sensitive side, her that she doesn't want anybody to see, that was, that's a quality I possess. Yeah. You know, that I, I act up I have this whole sensitive side so that would be a quality and as for the computer psh, totally not me <laughs> at all no no and i and my son and i laugh my son is actually really really uh smart with computers he's a, he's a, i always kid that he's a computer genius because i did that part yeah <laughs> i know nothing about computers i've never played that role i said well it was a long time ago. <laughs> there you go. That's funny. Nothing, nothing about technical anything. So it was very funny. <laughs> Do you happen to remember where any of your scenes were shot for this? Um, uh, the exterior shots were all done the same place. Was it Airwolf that they was that a TV show? Airwolf. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of the same. Yeah, it was up up near Magic Mountain. There was an area that they used to use quite a bit for exterior scenes and action movies and action TV shows. So yeah. we did a lot. Yeah, we did a lot of it up there. And then I think it was College of the Canyon, which was up in the Southern California area, same oh, okay. area. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other fun stories you recall from the set? Well, it was, like I said, I was older. I was, you know, 28, but I was pretending to be 19 could play this younger kid role. So everybody would treat me like I was a 19-year-old kid which was, was both good and, and a little frustrating. So Richard Dean Anderson was such a gentleman. He was so sweet. And so he was treating me like I was this, you know, this kid on the set. And he's like, hold on, let's look at my dog. I'll give you a ride in my Jeep. And all this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really sweet because he was acting like a really good older brother, you know, with this kid on 
and said who had so much to do. And um, and I hadn't worked that, I hadn't had that much experience, which I had told him. So he gave me some lovely pointers, especially with the outdoor shots. When we were in, riding in the Jeep, he was like, you know, you've really got to project. Because I know you're, it's an emotional scene for you guys, but really project. You're going to spend a lot of time in the sound studio if you if you don't project over all the ambient sound. So yeah, trying to match really, everything he, up later. Exactly. He was, he was really helpful and just so sweet to work with. And, uh, but I liked his big brother quality a lot. That was really, really fun. It made it really fun for me. That's cool. Yeah, it was really nice. What did you think of the episode when you finally saw it? Oh, I really, really liked it. I liked it so much. And uh, and I was really sad when we were working because we were working one day and um, one of the, I think it was uh, the stage manager came to me and he said, oh, the executive producer is going to come and see you. I'm, and I'm really sorry that I cannot remember his name. John um, Rich? Yeah, he produced Gunsmoke. Was um, that the guy? One of the older studio producers. Yeah. One of the older studio producers was going to come down and and visit me and say hello to me on the set. And I didn't, I didn't get that. You know, they were like, so-and-so is going to come see you. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. He goes, no, no, you have to understand. He produced Gunsmoke, and he's going to come see you. I'm like, oh, okay. And I suddenly <laughs> got really nervous. I wasn't sure what it was. And so this older guy comes down, and he started telling me about my work on the show and how much he liked my work on the show and um which was just super flattering to have him bother to come from the office out there. Sure. And so the um I think the main reason he came out to talk to me was I had I used to swear a lot. If something didn't go right, like in between cut takes, you know? Like we'd be doing a take and all of a sudden they go cut, they have to fix the light or something and I go and I let out some, you know, big, huge swear words, oh, crap, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they were all fine on the set, you know, whatever, because, it was, you know, it's all a bunch of guys that didn't care. But I didn't realize that just because they called cut doesn't mean that the camera doesn't keep rolling. Yeah. <laughs> so he said that they were all in the, you know, in the viewing room watching the daily, when they'd see this really cute little girl all of a sudden go, <laughs> oh, shit, right? And I was doing it constantly, so he came out to let me know. Oh, by the way, you know, the camera keeps rolling even though we call that. So that was really <laughs> helpful. Like, uh, you know, you swear like a truck driver. You would realize that. Like, oh, I didn't know anybody could do it. <laughs> so that was very, very sweet, very helpful. And, um, and I was kind of disappointed because they said they wanted to bring that character back because they really liked Richard Dean Anderson's energy matched with my character's energy. Yeah, yeah. They liked they like the two of them. They like the way I look like a little mini version of them, a little female mini version. So they had planned to bring her back, and then they unfortunately never did. So, oh, that's too bad. That would have been a fun episode. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been a nice follow-up. But, you know, that's, I think that they go along the storyline, and that's the way it goes. So anyway, so yeah, there you go. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, the, the creator of the show, Lee David Slodoff, um, recently has been trying to pitch a, a female-led reboot. And I've heard more than one nice. fan of the show say this should be the Kate Lafferty show. Like, it should just follow up with that character. Since you were basically, like you said, the mini MacGyver of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> it would just make sense to follow her story. Oh, sweet. Well, I'm sure they'll get somebody younger than me now. So I'll have to be my own mother. Well, you can pitch that to him. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're still, they're still um, they, they took a bunch of uh, pitches for it. So they're trying to narrow it down to the show that they want to move forward with. But I, I thought that would oh, be a great idea. That would be an awesome idea. She was, 
I thought she was such a great, fiery character. You know, when I was working a lot, I used to work because I could, I was a good crier. I was really good at crying. Um, and so that's, that's what got me work both in theater and, and television is that maybe being a little bit older, I was in command of my emotions. And so I wasn't afraid of being angry or, sure. or sad. But the thing I liked about that character was that even though she would cry, she was still determined. Yeah. And she still kept, yeah. That, and I thought that was wonderful. And I've had so many people see that character. I think I was, years later, I was in a, at a Mets game in New York City. And somebody, like two rows behind me, said, hey, what's wrong with Diver? Well, one of the great things about the character is just that um, so many of the episodes deal with MacGyver having like a sidekick type character, and he's having to save people over and over again. But in this episode, the only time he's really saving you, you're already kind of saving yourself because you're like welding these bars open to get out of the prison that they've set up for you. It just right. it spoke volumes about the character that it's like she didn't really even need MacGyver to come help her. Like she was going to get out of this situation either way. Right, right, exactly. I remember doing that episode too. They were really. Um concerned about safety because they needed to have the shot of me doing the welding and I had yeah. to just turn away a certain way and it wasn't welding at all but um they made it look really great the yeah. way it worked out so yeah they were talking a lot about that that she had to be innovative and at one point the director said okay that we looked at this little shed room and they had all this stuff hanging all over it he goes okay go in there and just figure out how to get out. <laughs> you just you like figure yourself out, and I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> just thinking, I'm looking at the tools, going, I don't know. I don't know. They didn't end up using that scene because um, they had to cut that. But that was the kind of opportunity they would give her. Oh, so they just rolled on on you, like going through the tools that were in the room and trying to figure out your own. Yeah, way out. yeah. Like, what could I? What could I do? You know, like I had to go through the tools and walk around the room and look at it, and they were just gonna. They just rolled a little bit and let me kind of explore the room. Sure. And then, um, yeah, so I thought that was really, really a fun idea. Yeah, that's a neat way to approach the scene. Yeah, very, very fun. And, of course, then there was the cactus incident where we showed up at the set, the, the hillside where the cactuses were, and in that particular area, there's no cactuses. Oh. So, set, so the set dressers had to dress the set, you know, they had to plant some cacti and that would work for this idea. And we show up, and they had put the cactuses all in a straight line along the hillside. <laughs> we showed them the director with so many. He goes, no, it doesn't look right. You can't do that. <laughs> this isn't a cactus so garden. To, yeah, it's not a cactus garden. So they did dig up the cactuses and then replant them while we're, we're waiting, you know. And that, that kind of stuff is, that eats up time on the set to do that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You got to film. So they were like, Scrambling to dig it up, replant it, and uh, make it look make it look natural-ish. And well, they had us out there because we didn't have time to drive the actors all the way back, fix the set, and drive us all the way back again. So we had to hang out. So while we're hanging out, waiting for them to replant the cactuses, Richard Dean Anderson looks at me and he goes, "Okay, you're you're the little science queen. How do you how do you hook up the radio to the cactus?" <laughs> I don't know. So we were trying to figure out how would it make, how do we make this look? How do we make this work? Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of fun. He would get that a lot. They would give him ideas and not necessarily explain to him the whole 
way to do it. He had to figure out a lot of stuff or research it himself. That's pretty neat. Yeah, everything he said in his script, he told me was feasible, but they wouldn't necessarily give him the instructions that go along with the idea. They just said, yeah, you can do this, and that would be, he would have to figure it out kind of himself, which is kind of funny. And then there was a, a, the explosion where we had to, we blew up the The shotgun. Yes, by reflecting the light on it. Yeah. And that was one of those, that was another technical acting thing for me that I learned there, which is, which is being said, okay, you get one take and one take only. So we had to walk through just where to stand, right? When I think my character turned around and said, gosh, it really works or something. Oh, yeah. But I had to stand up. I had to be in just the right position. So we just had to mark it. We had to keep marking it before we actually did it. because. Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to blow up five jeeps just for one line. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. You don't get multiple takes a lot of times on action movies or action TV especially. You don't get multiple takes. you got to figure it out, mark it, and then market it means by kind of walking through it and saying your line over and over so you know exactly where you're going to stand when you're going to do it. Yeah. And then they blow the thing out. Yeah. So. That's very cool. Yeah, it was really fun. That was really fun. Uh, the last television credit that you have on, on your Internet Movie Database page is for an episode of Murphy Brown, um, which was actually oh, yeah. directed by John Rich, the, the executive producer from MacGyver. I was curious if that was a coincidence. Um, it was a coincidence, actually. It was a, it was a coincidence. And, um, and I know we never got a chance to talk about it because Louis Maul was on that and Gary Marshall was on that. Yeah. And so... Yeah, so it was a really that was a really busy episode, and my part went from bigger to smaller because uh, that was a funny episode because they were Gary Marshall. They were improvising quite a bit on that, and so sure. they, we had to keep changing the scenes around. It was very funny, but that was a fun show to work on too. And actually, speaking of uh, improvising, I, I was kind of curious about uh, one line in particular from your MacGyver episode where yeah. uh, you quote uh, the Musketeers. And then MacGyver kind of calls back to it. And it just it just feels really improvised. It feels like you guys just worked that out on the spot. We we did, because he hated that. Um, Richard Dean hated that line. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he looked at me and goes, okay, Darcy, is this really hokey? And I said, yeah, it is really hokey. <laughs> uh, I said, it's super hokey. And he goes, now kids don't talk this way anymore, do they? I said, oh, no, absolutely not. And here I am, like, 28, but then he was 19. Right? Like, absolutely not, kids do not talk that way. So he goes, well, how are we going to make this work? And so we talked about a variety of different ways we could do it. And so that's that's the one we came up with. Like, we'll just act like a couple of dorks and find ourselves looking kind of dorky. That's <laughs> yeah, great. Okay. And he just laughed, like, I can't believe you said that. Yeah, I can't believe you said that. I think we, I think we ended up throwing that in there. <laughs> yeah, that that was an improvised line. We threw that in there. That's great. To, to make, yeah, to make it look like what? What did Davis just really? Yeah, like, <laughs> he really, really disliked that whole line. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to make it. Uh, we had to make it look like we just got carried away with ourselves. Yeah. And uh, what are you up to these days? Um, I do a variety of things. I taught acting uh, for television and film for years in New York City. I moved to New York City. I was directing and producing theater because um, I wasn't doing I did a lot of theater in, in L.A. on a small scale at a beautiful little theater company. 
for a long time when I was doing TV. I could do TV during the day theater at night. And then I moved to New York City. Um, I produced and directed a lot of theater. And then I taught at the Lee Strasberg Institute, which is a formidable acting school yeah, yeah. over in you know, yeah. So I taught their television and film acting classes. Um, and the nice thing was I could really help the students segue between theater, understanding how to act in theater, and putting that on camera and yeah. how to make that make those styles of ones. So yeah, it's a completely different there. acting. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, it's, it's all the same basic understanding of preparation. I used to explain it to people like, you're on stage, you're a lighthouse, you have a huge beam out to the audience, and then when you're on camera, you're a laser beam. It's right to your scene partner. So I could just help them direct their energy. Yeah. And, that, and yeah, and find stillness and, and teach them camera techniques and close-up techniques, et cetera. I did that for a long time, and then... Um, I had a baby, had a child, and uh, after September 11th, I didn't feel like having my child in New York City. I moved back to L.A., and I did a lot of behind-the-scenes work, work in production work quite a bit. And then now I, I uh, still teach acting classes, so I teach a lot of students. Um, I do a lot of uh, hypnotherapy for people, and occasionally I will do some acting when I have a friend to ask me, can you do a part? I just did a small film part for someone recently. It was just creating an idea. So. That's cool. But I don't have a heck of a lot of time for it. Um, sure. Although it's been coming up more and more, so your, your phone call is funny because I had somebody else just asked me recently if I would consider reading it, so maybe it's something I have to think about again. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think that's everything uh, we wanted to cover today. I want to thank you again for sharing so much of your time with us. I, I, the fans are really going to love this interview. I think you got a lot of good behind-the-scenes information for us. Oh, wonderful. I hope so. Well, good. I'm glad you guys are having fun with it. That makes me feel great. Sure. Thank you again. Have a nice day. You're welcome. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thank you so much, uh, Darcy, for being on our show. It was a really a lot of good information. We always get such great interviews from people. Yeah, I, and, every uh, time I'm nervous when going into it, like I don't know how much this person cared about their MacGyver appearance, and every time it's like, well, they probably wouldn't have gotten back to me if they didn't have this much to say. But yeah. I thought it was really fun. Yeah, good times. Uh, I I really like to hear always the stories. I think we say this every time we have an interview, but the about how much fun Richard Dean Anderson is. Yeah, and it, the 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 impressions of him, the impersonations that we get from people have been pretty consistent. That he's mm-hmm. like just real jokey and sarcastic on set, and just an all around nice guy. Um, there was one question I I neglected to ask her in the interview. I texted her after, um, and basically I I wanted to know if Kate was supposed to be a high school or a college student. And uh, she texted me a response. She said she was supposed to be only 14 or 15, so she would have just been an early high school student. But because she was so smart, she was studying at the college level for some subjects. That's why she didn't have any friends her age. I think all that info got cut. So, hmm. um, and, the, and you could probably infer some of that stuff from the episode. Yeah. Um, but I still think it was good information to have because we were certainly wondering at what what level she was supposed to be. And like she said, they did shoot at the College of the Canyon, so it was a college computer course classroom. Mm-hmm. It just was supposed to be a high school because they didn't have a high school classroom that they could shoot in for it, which right. totally makes sense. It's just a limitation of the locations. But, um, yeah, I just want to thank you again, Darcy, for, for speaking with us. And, uh, you know, that was, was useful information and mm-hmm. uh, fun to hear about. And it's really too bad they couldn't get their stuff together and put another Kate Lafferty episode in the Oh, uh, yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, and, it would have been nice to see her and, come back. Yeah, that would have been a good pitch, too, for the the new MacGyver. Yeah, the, yeah. Like, 
I'm sure someone must have done it. Yeah, I'm sure somebody did it. Somebody sent that in, and it just didn't get picked up. So, but good luck to all the contestants who did get picked up. It's a, it's a pre- actually, honestly, if you think about the plot, it's pretty exciting. Like, it makes a lot know, more sense than some of the other plots. Yeah, it, you know, there's a guy with a missile. He wants to sell, but he needs a test, and he's going to blow up a bridge and do it. I could see this being adapted <clears throat> into a feature film without major plot holes. Yeah. Yeah. Like this episode had. <laughs> no, this episode didn't have any plot holes. Flawless. But yeah, this one definitely felt like they probably went through the outline a bunch of times on this, yeah. and they got it real tight, and the story all makes sense, and everything kind of works. Uh, yeah. And the character's interesting, too. Yeah. And oh, I should. I, we should also note that um, in the in the closing moment of the movie, MacGyver mentions that. Oh yeah, by the way, they caught everybody. Yeah, Hatcher and his goons have been arrested. Mm-hmm. They captured uh, uh, Hatcher and his goons. Two of them were already dead next to an exploded <laughs> jeep. It turns out someone must have come and killed him after we left. <laughs> the two of them committed suicide by burying their face in dirt. <laughs> yeah, and setting their shotgun on fire. That's what the police said. <laughs> Worst case of suicide they've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I can tell that they were paralyzed by the explosion, but felt every ounce of the pain. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't move. <laughs> they were found with dried tears, holding pictures of their family. <laughs> <laughs> tears boiled on their faces. Yeah, but overall, this is a good episode. Uh, I, I had a good time with this one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like dated computer references, uh, that's always going to be a problem for technology-heavy yeah. episodes. And uh, I mean, if people still in 2015 don't know what a hacker is, then they obviously didn't know in 1986 yeah. when they were making this episode. Um, but also, another thing that's just funny to me about this episode is is the cameos by Rob Paulson and, yeah. and and Russell Russell Johnson. Yeah, it's just like out of nowhere and then they're gone and they don't come back to the story at yeah, all. Like you expect them to at least be in like this this final scene at the club or something yeah, like they, somehow involving them later. There's no closure to their arc. Um they in fact if it's were even insult is that they were made to look like fools. Right. And never get a chance to like either follow Redeem through themselves, or, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they're technically the good guys, exactly. for the most part. I mean, she did break the law, and they, they, they want to fix the problem. Yeah, they and they really it. they weren't pressing charges, and they didn't incarcerate her against mm-hmm. her will. Like she went with them willingly. Yeah. Although when she requested that attorney be present, they told her they were going to hit her with conspiracy charges, which is probably not cool. Yeah, but but that's on a the scale of one to things a government has done to a person, that's getting off pretty lightly i'd say yeah uh but like i said i think that's just like a strong arm technique like they, they they see how much you're willing to put up with yeah uh first you know before you before you make the threat to call a lawyer yeah i think that's about it for ugly duckling uh if you want to reach out to us you can find us on twitter our handle is at opening gambit on Facebook, uh, we can be found at facebook.com slash Podcast, And we can always be found on our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. Tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 1, Episode 19, Slow Death. Yeah. It takes place almost entirely on a train. Maybe mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah, it's, it's, it is entirely on a train. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a fun one. So stay tuned and thank you for listening thank you